0: so you know how incredible he is. Um, He's someone who I get really really excited about the opportunity to come to church and speak and minister because I know uh, from knowing other people what power that is in our lives and that Kristen's been speaking at churches since, uh, I think he said, since he was about 19 years old. Uh, He's currently the, uh, the, the senior leaders at Hope Tauranga Church, uh, and um, so I'm going to hand it straight over to you, Kristen. So, how about we uh, give him a big welcome and don't be short of auditory encouragement as he speaks, please? Morning, everybody. That was, um, that was quite a, a weird sort of a full circle moment for me because, um, thank you very much. I was the um the principal of the Annisbrook Leadership College for um, uh, f- four or five four years, five years. And um, it was funny, I um, so this feels a little bit weird and uh, rusty to me. Yesterday was the first time I'd put jeans on uh, since uh, October probably of last year. My knees were wondering what was going on, so, you know, because it's been summertime, and uh, most of the preaching that I have done... Um, so far this year, has been sitting down in a comfortable chair in my lounge because we've been having house church. Right now there is a church meeting in our house back home um, using our coffee cups and sitting in our chairs and hopefully not destroying the place. Um, uh, But, um, so anyway, I I was the principal at Leadership College and I I just want to tell you something that was sparked by a text message I got from someone that's in our house right now. Um, there was this one day where I was teaching a class. It was a uh, it was a second year class, a diploma level class, uh, and it was to be an overview of the Book of Acts. It was an NCEA qualified uh, class, and so you had to list your learning outcomes. and The learning outcome listed for that class was to have. A better understanding of the content and purpose of the book of Acts. It was four days before the Sunday that was Pentecost Sunday, and I stood up in front of the students. So we had two classrooms. I was in the level two classroom, which was in the doors to the right, and the level one classroom uh, was in the doors to the left. And there was a glass door to this classroom, glass door to that classroom. So you could kind of see what was going on. I stood up in front of the class and I said, Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you this morning and I said to them, uh, we're going to have a look at the book of Acts today, Uh, get your Bibles out and open them to Acts chapter and that was the last word I spoke because I got so powerfully hit by the Holy Spirit I wound up on the floor and I couldn't get up and then the Holy Spirit went through the entire class and we were all on the floor for approximately three and a half to four hours. The year one students saw what was going on and were like, hey, we want a piece of that. And they came in and many of them wound up on the floor too. And it was just this incredible time of wave after wave after wave of the tangible, life-changing, bondage-breaking, moving of the Holy Spirit. At the end, I was very happily able to tick the purpose of the class, to have a greater understanding of the content and purpose of the book of Acts. Tick, no worries. No worries. The reason I raise that is because um, uh, our friends Ian and Jane are um, there hosting our house church today, and uh, Ian, Ian, um, some of you, some of you will know Ian. He's uh, he's the jellyfish man, and he's my he's my fishing buddy. We go fishing together. He sent me a picture threatening to hook his car up to my boat and tow it away, which he's always constantly doing. He's constantly offering to uh, store my boat at his house. Um, so I told him that I was going to be chaining and locking and disabling and removing the batteries before he came. But anyway, he sent me a picture of, uh, of that this morning. And then he sent me this uh, quote from Jill Austen. And Jill Austin, um, some of you will know the name, some of you won't. It's irrelevant really uh, for, for the purpose of this. But Jill Austin uh, wrote this referring to a thing called the breaker anointing. That anointing that breaks the bondages, that breaks the yoke. There's a great yoke of fear over our country right now. And she wrote this, she said, when the breaker anointing occupies an area, individuals, churches, socio-political structures and belief systems are revolutionized. The breaker must come if we are to see the transformation of our cities and nations. She said, let me offer you one of my favorite examples of who carried this anointing. Mariah Woodworth Etta was a healing evangelist This past century, she was such a friend of the Holy Spirit as you and I are learning to be that for 50 miles around her, the glory of the Lord would cover that region. A glory cloud with a 50-mile radius surrounded her with signs and wonders following. We find that hard to believe because we've not seen anything like that. But I believe the Lord is saying that if we're willing to go where He wants to go, we're going to see things that we've not seen. And last time I was here, the reason this church has been on my mind, the reason I'm, I'm back here today, the reason that I've prayed for this church often most weeks since I was here last time is because when I was here last time, uh, I had the sense that uh, the Lord was saying that you are appointed for a move of God. So what is that going to look like? Is it just going to look like more of the same with a few extra people? Or are we anticipating something that God will do that is far more biblical than what we've been seeing in our current uh, setup? I was sitting here during the worship. Uh, Love singing that I Love You Lord song. We used to sing that at St. Saviour's Anglican Church in Blockhouse Bay when I first became a follower of Jesus. One of the first worship songs we ever sang. And I was sitting here and I was thinking about Azusa Street, which was another place appointed by God for a move of His Spirit. Do you know Azusa Street, they had this this very small facility. It was 220 square meters. They would jam 700 people in there. I don't know how they did that. And if you've been to Los Angeles, you know Los Angeles is often very warm. 700 people in 220 square meters in the heat sitting on hay bales and its history records that there was a three-mile radius around Azusa Street of the presence of God, and people would just be walking down the street, minding their own business, and they would walk into that radius and be so affected by the power of God that many of them would just fall in the streets on the, on the footpaths, and the church used to send people out two by two saying, just go out we're doing evangelism. Look for the people lying on the ground and tell them why they're there. And that's how many people became followers of Jesus. See, they're called signs and wonders. Signs that make us wonder. Okay. If you've got your Bibles, you're going to need to open them, turn them on, uh, have access ready to, to zip around a little bit. We're going to have a look briefly at something very, very important that I believe is happening right now in the days leading up to what is about to happen that God has on his mind. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. Lord, your anointing, your presence has been in the worship. Let your anointing and your presence be on the preaching of the word. Lord, I pray, set a guard over my mouth that nothing would come out that's not aligned with what you wanna do. And Lord, we ask that you would come and that you would be preparing us thoroughly and rapidly, for what is about to happen. Amen. You don't have to turn to this one, but in Luke 9:51, so Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows what he's going there for. And it says, "When the time came for him to be received up, he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem." He was like, "Right, here we go." And he put, his, he put his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, verse 27, referring to what was going to happen in Jerusalem, it says this. He says, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason that I came. So Jesus was totally clear about what he was doing. He was totally clear. He knew what he was in for. He knew why he was doing it. And right now, in the weird times that we are living in, with your permission, I am not going to refer to COVID at all today, apart from that. Let's not talk about that. Praise God. I'm tired of talking about that. I had someone out fishing recently and he was talking about that. I said, oh, I'll stop talking about that. Let's catch fish. Praise God. In the weird times that we are living in, as the church, we need to become very clear about what is our purpose? What is our message? You know, the message of the church has nothing to do with what's going on around us. It has this, be reconciled to God. God wants men, women, and children to be reconciled to Him and know Him as He truly is. So Jesus set out for Jerusalem. He knew what He was doing. We need to know what we are doing. At the start of the year, I felt like the Lord said to me, you're gonna be talking about far fewer topics this year with far greater authority. So we're gonna get really narrow. Our message is actually gonna get right back to basics. Amen. So Jesus enters Jerusalem sitting on a donkey and the crowds are yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. And it says in Matthew 21, if you open your Bibles to Matthew 21, we're going to look at 12 and 13. So he enters the city, and all the city was moved, it says in verse twelve, uh, verse 10, and they were saying, who is this? So what you've got to understand is that the city of Jerusalem had been waiting so long for their deliverer to come. And now they're filled with anticipation. And the question on people's minds would have been this. Is this him? Is this what we were waiting for? An interesting fact, when you go to Jerusalem now, um, I, I thought I had a picture of it, but when you walk through the streets, like we went to Jerusalem a few years ago and we stayed in an Airbnb And as you walk towards the old city, on the lampposts, there are these banners with words and drawings done by children. And even those banners today, they still have this this waiting, this longing for their deliverer because they missed this. So Jesus was in Jerusalem to save the world. He was there to go to the cross to provide salvation for whosoever would believe in Him. He was going to Jerusalem to change the spiritual environment of the whole of the cosmos. For humanity, He was gonna break the bondage of sin. He was gonna break the bondage of death. But something had to be done first. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. You doing okay so far? Good? Good, you're understanding my Tauranga accent okay? (laughs) Then Jesus went into the temple and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you've made it a den of thieves. So what this is referring to is is there was temple currency that you had to use to pay temple tax. And it was being sold at robbery rates. People were being ripped off. And you had to offer certain things as sacrifices and they were being sold at ridiculously expensive rates. And Jesus went into the temple And he did that. I was in a prayer meeting the other day, one of our many prayer meetings. We have lots of prayer meetings in our church. And I was in one of our prayer meetings and I saw this picture in my mind's eye of Jesus standing there in his humanity. He was flushed red from effort and he was was puffing. And then it was like it zoned out and I realized I was... Looking at in my my mind's eye at a picture of him the moment after he'd done this, the moment after he'd turned over the tables. In the book of John, it says he'd fashioned a whip and he'd been in there whipping and crashing of tables and birds flying around and money on the ground. Can you imagine what it sounded like from outside? If you were outside, you hadn't heard sounds like this coming from the temple. What's going on in there? The Son of God is in the house of God. What's he doing? Well, he seems to be vandalizing it. There's chaos, there's carnage, there's damage. He's wrecking the whole religious order. And I saw this picture of him puffing and flushed a little bit red in his face. And then as it zoned out, all around him, there was was wreckage. There were broken tables, scattered coins, Birds flying around, upset traders and angry religious leaders raising their voice, perplexed. To the untrained eye, this just looked like great vandalism. It looked like damage. It looked like chaos. And in this moment, can you picture it? Let yourself picture it for a moment. Imagine just the mess. And in that moment, the religious order of the temple was strewn all over the floor. The ancient religious pattern was in tatters. To the untrained eye, this just looked like a maniac vandalizing the temple. But to those with eyes to see, something quite different was happening, wasn't it? Hello? In this moment of, quote, unquote, vandalism, a heavy yoke of religious bondage was being broken. A heavy yoke of injustice was being broken. The weight of an oppressive religious order was being lifted. The rules that nobody could ever keep, the regulations that nobody could ever fulfill, and the separation between God and man with this big religious system in between, this pay for play religious system, it was all over the floor. And then Jesus makes a universe shaking statement. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I don't know what you think about that, but I'm like, ah. my house shall be called a house of prayer. In John's account of this, the disciples are looking at this and they're probably like, oh my word. But then it says this, they recalled from Psalm 69 a prophecy about the Messiah. Zeal for the house of God consumes me. Let's just pause for a moment. Most of the imagery that we use in church when we talk about the Savior is of the suffering Savior before he went to the cross and when he went to the cross. Do you also have in your mind this Jesus, with a whip in his hand, driving the money changes out of the temple and saying, not in my house, Sonny. My house is a house of prayer. My house is not a house of all this stuff. Not in my house, mate. And I tell you what we also need to be getting our head around, but that's for another day, is we need to be getting our head around the fact that the Jesus we serve now is not the suffering saviour. He was the suffering saviour and never will be again. He's now the one who, when the apostle John sees him in the book of Revelation chapter one on the island of Patmos, he was overwhelmed and fell down dead before him going, "Ah!" hello? We don't serve now the suffering saviour. We Stand before the eyes of a man. He's got eyes like fire, a face shining seven times brighter than the sun. He's got hair like wool, even woollier than mine's becoming, a sword coming out of his mouth. In this moment, Jesus was consumed with zeal for his house to be what he had made it to be. He was jealous for his house to reflect his nature and his priorities. It was to be a place where burdens were lifted in prayer and not, laid, not, not religious weight laid on the shoulders of the people, but burdens being lifted off weary people. And he was willing to wreck everything that stood in the way of that. Did you hear me? He was willing to wreck everything that stood in the way of that. You see, what happened at the temple that day was actually a forerunner to what happened on the cross. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, he was physically consumed by his zeal for his house, for his family, for those that he dwells amongst. As his own body was physically wrecked for all of us, there was also unseen wreckage happening that day. The heavy yoke of dead religion, Shame, separation from God was smashed at the cross and the death grip that the devil had over humanity was destroyed. What looked in that moment on the cross like ultimate defeat was actually, in fact, mission accomplished. What looked like one thing was actually another and we need to have eyes to see, otherwise you don't see it. Now, what's that got to do with anything? I believe he still comes into our lives the same way he came into the temple. You know, one time I was at a, a, a large youth rally, and uh, it was a, I was a part of a conference or a camp, I can't remember what, and, um, and I was the Saturday speaker, but I got to be there in time to hear the Friday night speaker. And the Friday night speaker was a good, good friend of mine, and so I was thrilled to be able to be there and hear him speak, and I was in the back, and as he was preaching, I was cheering him on, and I was, come on, man, you know, and there were, it was a large youth thing. There were several hundred young people at it. And then I heard him give the altar call, and in the altar call, he said this, he said, young people, I want you to come to the front to meet Jesus. And he said this, he said, don't worry, he won't do anything disruptive or uncomfortable or challenging or difficult. He's safe. And I just remember sitting there going, really? I I have a question. If he won't do anything difficult or challenging or disruptive, then who is this person that's been messing with my life for the last 30 years? Who is this one that challenges me when I have bad attitudes that 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 convicts me when I'm being the unmerciful servant that that convicts me when I say things that who he does come in and turn over the tables everything that's in the way he comes in and he starts turning over the tables and he starts breaking things and smashing things how many of you have noticed him do that in your life too some of you are not putting your hand up. He does the same thing in churches. Come to Jesus. He won't do anything uncomfortable or disruptive. Are we creating a sentimental false sense of security with that? Are we only setting people up to fail because we're not introducing them to Jesus, we're introducing them to a teddy bear? He still comes into his house, into his dwelling place, into his family, and he still looks at the things that he didn't build and he dismantles them and he wrecks them, not because he despises our efforts, but because he knows better than we do. He turns over the tables and he drives out what shouldn't be there. And he does this all the more when he's about to do something significant because he knows that our self-centeredness, he knows that our greed and our pride and our lust and our idolatry, that these things are all killers. He knows that. So he sets out, listen to me, to kill the killers and to make his house and to make his people into what he made and designed for us to be all along. And you know, the reason why I'm talking about this right now is think about where we are in February of 2022. Think about even the strange setup that we have now in the way that we are able to gather. Many churches have been totally changed in the way that they meet, in the way that they function. And many people are looking and they're just looking and they're just seeing wreckage, but I think something else is going on. I think God's up to something and I think he's up to something. We can look and we can go, no, this has just all been because of of the actions of the government. No, it hasn't. God's doing something. I I can't speak for for every, every other church, but you know, for me personally, I never really used to like home groups. I just seemed like home groups were, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about your home groups. I'm talking about the ones that I was a part of. They just seemed to be a whole bunch of inward looking, navel gazing Christians that wanted to have a cup of tea. (laughs) And then this happened. And because we don't have a building, suddenly we had nowhere to meet. So we're like, well, we've got houses. Let's go to the houses. And you know what began to happen? Suddenly new people started coming to the houses and people that, had spiritual gifts, we'd never seen them before, suddenly they were starting to be activated. We started hearing prophetic words from people that I didn't even know were prophetic. Crazy things began to happen. Just just little things here and there and there. You can't look at it and go, wow, that's impressive. But I tell you what, God's up to something. He is up to something in his house and he is again turning over tables of dead religion of empty formulas. He's turning over the tables again. And you know what I think he's also saying again? He's saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I used to hate prayer meetings. Have any of you ever hated prayer meetings? Oh, you'd go to a church, you'd visit the church and they'd say, do you want to come to the morning prayer meeting before we start? And I'd be like, oh No just seemed to be a whole bunch of angry people standing in a circle shouting at God. And I was like, I don't like this. And then then when the Lord started talking to me about prayer, I was like, oh, no, not prayer. But He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Why prayer? Can I tell you something weird? I felt like the Lord said to me about prayer. No? May I tell you? I felt like he said this to me. He said, prayer is surrendering without giving up. It's one thing to give up. You give up, you walk away, I'm done. A lot of people have been doing that. A lot of believers have been doing that because the systems and structures and the Sunday thing that we relied on so heavily hasn't been as freely available and many have walked away. Prayer is not giving up. Prayer is surrendering without giving up because you know when I pray, do you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, I can't, but you can. Prayer is this, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says this weird thing. It says, the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength and the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Is God weak? I hope not. I really hope not, because he's holding this whole thing together. If he's weak, we might be in great danger. Is he foolish? Does he have a day where he wakes up and just goes silly? It's not saying that God is weak or God is foolish. It's saying that the ways of God, the ways that he calls us to walk, sometimes they seem weak. Sometimes they seem foolish. So we say things like this. Oh, well, I suppose there's nothing left to do but prayer. Because we're like, prayer is foolish to our natural minds. But actually the foolishness of God, the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And when his house becomes a house of prayer, we're going to see things happen that we could never conjure up with our strategies or our efforts, or, or no matter how marvelous the show is. We're going to see if we make room for God in that place of surrender, we're going to see him fill it with things that were beyond our wildest dreams. My wife and I and our family, we recently moved house. I don't know about you, but I hate moving. You know, you have lots of things in your house that are heavy and having to pick them up and move them. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that, why did we buy this couch? This is heavy. Let's just get like wicker furniture now. <laughs> and we moved house. And when we moved house, we got to put the fridge in the kitchen and we realized that the fridge we had was one centimeter too wide. And you're like, oh no. So we put the fridge in the garage and um, uh, my wife set out looking for a fridge and she found one on Trade Me that was for sale not far away that seemed to fit. Anyway, to cut a long story short, it was being sold by an Iranian couple who'd moved from, to New Zealand from Tehran. And so I arrived there and the house, you know, normal looking street in Pais pa in Tauranga but then there's this one house with these massive, big, imposing-looking golden gates that you have to tap in a thing, and, and then brrr, the door's open. I'm like, wow. So I drove up there, <coughs> and sure enough, there was the fridge, and there was a bit of to and fro but I'd been talking to the wife, and while I was there, the man, the husband, came, and he got out of his truck, and no joke, he walked over like this, so he got out of the truck like this, and he walked like this. Not one word of exaggeration. I'm not, exact. there's no exaggeration. That's how he walked. He walked over like this. And I, um, I looked at that and I was thinking, okay, I'm here to buy a fridge. <laughs> but a little while later I said, hey, uh, can I pray for you? He says, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to put my hand on your shoulder and I'm going to pray for you to be healed in the name of Jesus His name's Hamed and he he looked at me and he said, well, that will be interesting. (laughs) So his wife came and she was standing at the door and his daughters were standing behind and right there inside these big golden gates, I put my hand on his shoulder and I didn't pray an impressive prayer. I I just thought, I'm just gonna make room for you, Lord. And I prayed a prayer for him and then we carried on talking about the fridge. And then a couple of minutes later, I said to him, how's your back? And he said, hang on a minute. And he started... Touching his toes, and he said, Wait a minute. He went and hopped back in his truck and he sat there for a minute and then he hopped out and he said, All my pain has gone. Isn't that interesting? I was just focused on buying a fridge. I didn't even really want to pray for him. I just wanted to get the fridge. You know, we need the fridge. I just want the fridge. But if I hadn't made that little bit of room, because see, I don't know how you are, but I'm like quite goal-oriented. I'm here to get the fridge, let's get the fridge, get the fridge in the car, let's get home, let's get that fridge happening. But they just had to make a little bit of room. And then a crazy thing is, seven days later, the fridge started beeping. No joke, just beep, 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 beep. It went like just non-stop. It was all right for me, because I I was down the other end of the house, but it was coming up dinner time, and and my wife was preparing dinner, and I think she was just about going cross-eyed with this fridge, just beep, 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 and I was like, well, I'm going to have to ring Hamid, aren't I? So I ring Hamid, thinking this might be another divine appointment. Sure enough, Hamid turns up in his truck, and what happens? He hops out of the truck, and he just walks over to me like this, and I said, your back's still all right, isn't it? And he said, yes, it is. I wound up talking with him, well, mostly listening to him for an hour on the drive, what has this got to do with anything? I've got to bring this in for a landing. Oh, 11.45. Prayer is surrendering without giving up. You know what I think Jesus is looking for? Fresh surrender. I believe that New Zealand will have a move of God that will sweep through our entire land before the Son of God splits the sky and returns. I believe it because Smith Wigglesworth prophesied it in May of 1922. I believe it because Prophet Murdy Thompson prophesied it in uh, October of 1990. I believe it because I can feel it in my bones, and I believe that there will be places that will kind of be catalysts that will go first. I believe the move of God will sweep through the land, but there are going to be places like like catalysts that the fire lights first. I believe there is an invitation to this fellowship to be one of those catalysts. But you've got to let the Son of God come in and be willing to turn over the tables. Don't just sit there going, oh, well, yeah, praise God, he's going to turn over the tables in the leadership. Forget about the leadership right now. Let him turn over the tables in you. We've got to stop passing the buck to the people that stand on the stage. Well, he'll turn over the tables if the preacher's good today. No, he'll turn over the tables when you and I, as the people of God, start recognizing that the house of God, this is not the house of God. We are the house of God. This is a place where we gather. We've got to stop driving past and going, there's the church, that needs transforming and start looking in the mirror and going, here's the church, (sighs) I surrender. He's looking for room. We've got to make room. We've got to stop being so, just got to get the task done and we've got to make room. If we will make room for him. Here's what I felt like the Lord said. I'm nearly done. I felt like he said this. I got to the start of the year and you know people start posting on Facebook all their prophecies for the year. I had real trouble with that this year because I just looked at it and I was like, I don't believe that's the word of the Lord. Oh, 2022, double, 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 double blessing, double wealth, double influence. And I, honestly, I just thought, sorry, I hope, I hope I'm not cutting across anything that was said here. I just, <laughs> I, just I thought I might've suddenly dug myself a hole. And I just looked and I was like, double nonsense. Just saying, none of those things are bad, but I I don't think that's what's going on. Here's what I felt like the Lord said. He said, those that resisted me last year have got a difficult year ahead. But those that surrendered last year, surrendered to what I was doing, have got a great year ahead. I think God's calling us to a fresh surrender to become those who willingly and consistently surrender to his will and say, Lord, have your way. I don't care what it looks like. Have your way. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Complete surrender. Not giving up. Remember, prayer is surrender without giving up. Complete surrender. This is our reasonable service. Our efforts, our human methods, our boasting, our pride, our idolatry, we come and we lay it all at his feet. Remembering that he said things like this, John 12, 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. But if it dies, if it's willing to surrender, lay itself down, it produces much fruit. Job 23 verse 10. But he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me, I will come forth like gold refined in the fire. Revelation 2 verse 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have forsaken your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the things that you did at first. I think right now Jesus walks amongst the wreckage of organized religion. I'm not saying we shouldn't be organized, but I don't think we should be trusting our organizing to get the job done. He walks amidst the wreckage of our religion, he walks amongst All our stress, all our efforts, all our methods, all our pride and our sin and our arrogance. And he reaches down and he picks up the broken pieces, just like the disciples picked up the broken pieces after he multiplied the bread and fish. He picks up the broken pieces and he uses them in ways beyond our wildest dreams. But I believe right now, if we peer ahead and we want to see a move of God sweep through our land, here's where we have to go first. We have to go and say, Lord, come into your house, get us ready. Bill Johnson said this, he said, it's a tragedy when people come looking for Jesus and all they find is us. (laughs) Wasn't it marvelous and wonderful how during the worship, you could just sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that precious? That's not just for Sunday. That works just as well in your lounge on Monday morning. It works just as well in your your house on Tuesday afternoon or when you just stop during your lunch break and instead of, of, I, I can be a little bit addicted to the news, instead of looking at the news, you look at the word of God and you say, Lord, here, have all of me. A move of God will certainly sweep through our land. Many Kiwis will become followers of Jesus. But before that, our king is at work in his house. Many right now are lamenting the damage that seems to be being done to the church. Many are lamenting the damage. And there is damage in our land. There are, there's damage to the economy, damage to business, damage to the mental health and well-being. There's a, a pandemic of fear also in our land right now, where many people are filled with fear. But you know, even all this, even all this in the, in the midst of all of that, not minimizing it, all of that is fertile ground for an awakening. I'd love to be able to remind you of or tell you where I found this, but I can't remember. But I read this last week. In history, there have been revivals without a pandemic. But you know, there's never been a pandemic without a revival. Did you know that? Every time there's been a pandemic, it has been accompanied by a move of God. So guess what, friends? Hallelujah. So in some ways, I probably talk to you like I wouldn't necessarily talk to many churches except the one that I'm a part of. Jesus wants to come in and turn over the tables. I think he's already been doing it. How many of you have found him to be remarkably disruptive in your life over the last year or so? Have you found that? How many of you just feel like it's like you just can't quite get away with anything? (laughs) My wife and I have, have someone, well, I have someone, she's far better at this, but we have someone back home that's causing us great frustration. Man, oh man, oh man, the number of times when I'm feeling frustrated about that person that the Lord's talking to me about the parable of the unmerciful servant and going, look what you were forgiven of, son, and you're like, oh... He just not let us get away with anything. Would you mind standing up, please? Excellent. Look at you guys all set to go. Thank you. Would you mind beginning to, let's just have some weight on the Lord music. Would that be all right? Sorry, I'm not very musical. I don't even know how to explain it. I want you to take a moment. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to forget about the room you're in, whether you're in this room or in the other room. I want you to forget about all the turbulence, all the disruption. I want you to forget about right now, it's not about mandates. It's not about government policies. Right now, it's all about this beautiful, glorious man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, laid his life down. This man who is worthy of all worship. This man who has eyes like fire and a face seven times brighter than the sun. He has hair like wool. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. He has a body made... It seems an appearance as of fire from the waist down and burnished bronze from the waist up. Oh, I think it's the other way around. He's got a voice that sounds like many waters and He is King of kings and He is Lord of lords. He didn't die on the cross for a small minority of people, but He died on the cross for every man, woman and child in New Zealand to know Him as Lord and Saviour. He didn't die on the cross for our nation to have a heavy yoke of fear laid upon it. But the same man Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Holy Spirit, we love you and we invite you into our individual lives. We surrender afresh today to that which you would want to do in each of us as individuals and to that which you would want to do in this fellowship also. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We surrender afresh. Right now if you have a like a plaguing thought that just keeps, it's in the background, just, just you can't get past it. Deliberately lay it down. Surrender it. I know there's much to worry about right now. Lay down your worry. Prayer is not giving up. Prayer is surrendering without giving up. Give Him the thing you worry about. Give Him the thing that you're angry about. Father, I thank You for the plans that You have for us. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us plans to give us hope and a future. I thank You for that which You have appointed this fellowship to be and also to do. And I pray a great grace would come upon them for a fresh, unconditional surrender. Turn over the tables that need to be turned over. Break off the yoke of Empty religion and dead works. Come like a rushing wind through each of our lives and through this fellowship. Position us, prepare us for the things that are ahead of us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lane Park Church, receive the Holy Spirit fresh now. In this room and in the other room, Lane Park Church, receive the Holy Spirit afresh. That this time of great turmoil would be accompanied by great grace in the Holy Spirit. Great grace in your life, in your family, in your business, in your schooling. Great grace in the Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. I feel like there's two or three people and the Lord is saying, it's like He's saying this, not, not in any way harshly, but quite firmly. He's saying there is nothing, nothing, nothing that can stand in the way of my purpose and my plan for your life. Nothing can stand in the way of my purpose for your life. No government action, no mandate, nothing can stand in the way of my purpose for your life. Surrender. I feel like the Holy Spirit says to you, remember Mary. Remember the obstacles that Mary faced. Remember Mary's response. May it be to me as you have said. And God did with her exactly what He said that He would do despite the obstacles. I feel like He says to some of you right now, remember Mary. Lord, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to this fellowship as you have said. May it be to me. May it be to us as you have said. Great and glorious King. May it be to us as you have said. How are we doing any of you any of you can any of you sense the Holy Spirit drawing near to you there you give me a wave if you just feel like Holy Spirits around your life he wants to be around our lives all the time we just got to make room for him I was here yesterday with uh, with some of the young adults and one of one of the young ladies there she she was talking about a plan that she wants that she feels like the Lord wants her to do but then she was there was a mandate that's getting in the way of that and I just felt like the Lord was saying nothing's going to get in the way nothing nothing will get in the way of what he has said that he wants to do nothing it just might be totally different from how we anticipated but nothing will get in the way there is going to come a move of God There can there is going to come a move of God and guess what There is nothing, 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 nothing. Even even the very things that people and governments try and do to stop a move of God are just more fuel for the fire. There is coming a move of God. Amen. There is coming a move of God. Hallelujah. Things that he will do, and there are things that he has called you to do. Praise God. Um Lady back there with the the red in your hair. I like that. Yes, you're well, you're the only one, actually, with the you can look around, but you're the only one with that. It's quite interesting because from where I am. Uh, your hair is really highlighted by the light above you. So it looks it looks uh, very excellent. I feel like the Lord is wanting to encourage you that He's already been in your life turning over some tables. And there's been a few moments of like scratching your head and going, what on earth is going on? And I feel like the Lord is just saying, lift up your gaze, what on heaven is going on? Because you can look and you can just go, oh. It seems to be these things are coming apart. But when you look and you see, it's actually different from what you realize. So it's almost like I feel like the Lord wants you to know you're closer than you think you are. You're actually doing better than you realize that you are. And He wants you to know that He is at work in your life. And some of the things that you know are coming, crashing over, He's doing that, not because He is against you, but because He's radically, beautifully, and wonderfully for you. Does that make sense? So be encouraged. Yeah, you ladies, you just give her a bit of a prayer soaking for a couple of minutes. Just pray for her. Um, so a young lady over here on the end, I, you, there isn't a light above you, so I can't see you very well. But I have this picture for you of, remember when we used to go on airplanes and airports? Remember that, when we used to go overseas? In San Francisco Airport, they've got a lot of those... Um, moving walkways you know and you step on them and you get this burst of acceleration and then you step off and you slow down and I just see um, I just see a picture of one time I was there with my son Isaac and he spent our plane was delayed he spent a lot of time going back and forth on these moving walkways you know and I've got videos of him making faces as he's zooming up and down on the moving walkways and I feel, young lady, like the Lord is showing me a picture of you. You're about to step onto a moving walkway. And I feel like there are some things that God's up to in your life that He's actually just going to accelerate. If you'll just say yes. You go, well, I don't know what I'm saying yes to. That's okay. You're saying yes to the God who created you, who knows you, and knows what He made you to do, and you can trust Him. All right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like he's also talking to you a little bit about um, uh, the lady in the Bible, Esther. Okay, so Esther, she said this. She was put in a situation where she had to say yes and it sounded like this. Said uh, her, her uh, cousin Mordecai said, who knows but that you have come for such a time as this. And she basically said, well, I will go. I'll do it. There was risk. And I just feel like the Lord's just got you here and He's just saying, if you say yes, I'm gonna begin to accelerate some things in your life. You're quite a significant young lady, all right? There's no light shining on you from above, so you look a little bit like a silhouette to me. I can't tell if you're smiling or frowning or anything like that because you're just a silhouette. But I feel like the Lord wants you to know that you are quite large on His radar. My wife and I became grandparents recently, so I'm quite enjoying... The sound from over here in the darkness of the little person. Grandparents, very, very good. Grandparents, very good. Oh, look, here's more. Oh, I love the bow. Isn't that fantastic? Far out. Oh, my gosh. Okay, just here's my last comment, Lane Park. The call to be a catalyst is an invitation. Matthew 22 14. Many are called, fewer chosen. The difference between called and chosen is what you do with the calling. Here's what we do with the calling. We don't go, hoo, 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 yeah. And our we are awesome. We go, okay, thank you, Lord. May it be to me as you have said, individually and corporately, and we change the balance where instead of the heavy load of expectations sitting on Dino and Gina and the, the leaders and, and Courtney and the worship team, we sit there we go, thank you, Lord. That calling is not on them, that calling is on us. And we will surrender and we will be a house of prayer because we're all in this together. Amen? How are you doing back there? Good? Okay, that's good. That's very good. All right, God bless you.